Well, let's hear from the Lord then. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And it says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I don't know from whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. And whither the men went, I know not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And you wonder, how are they going to get out of there? That's what you're supposed to be left with, except we know the whole story, right? In verse 8, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that you will save alive my father, my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If you utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which you did let us down by, and you shall bring thy father, thy mother, and thy brethren, and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house... His blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if you utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all the things that befell them. And when they said unto Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land for even all the inhabitants of the country 
do faint because of us. And Father, I ask you, Lord, today that you'll show us your sovereign mercy in this chapter, Lord, and, and how you sovereignly came and delivered a woman of ill repute and made her into a princess. And that's how your grace works. And I just ask you'll show us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at Joshua chapter 1 and then the nation of Israel led by Joshua. They're standing right there at the river in the city, Shittim, and ready to go over. Take what God has promised them. And we said there was three important truths that God wanted them to know so that when they go over, they'll be able to successfully conquer that land. And the first thing we looked at was we said that God's promises are enduring. They don't rise and fall with men, movements, or time. None of that affects God's promises. So it said in that first chapter, Moses, the Lord said, Moses, my servant is dead. But he's saying the promise of the land, it still endures. And so he tells Joshua, you and the people arise and go forward and conquer that land and take it. And that's the way it works. His promises are still true for us today, aren't they? Doesn't matter. They're always true no matter what happens. And the second thing we said was God promises Talked about it today, his presence will go with us. And we can have confidence that as we move forward, trusting his promises, doing his will, whatever it is he's shown us to do, he's promised that he will never fail or forsake us. And we said that word fail means you've got somebody, you're holding them up, and you just let go and drop them. And God says, I'll never do that to you. I'll never get you out trusting one of my promises and just leave and abandon you. I'll never have you out on a work that I've given you to do and just leave you on your own. He says, I'll never do that. He says, my presence will always go with you. He'll never fail us. We said that's the word of a perfect gentleman. We can bank on that, can't we? And the third thing we said, God promises success if we live by his word. So we said God's given us, then it would have been the law. For, for us, it's the word, the entire word. And we don't need to look at his commandments, his law, like he's just trying to condemn us. But no, we need to look at it as the Torah, the instruction. God as our Father is lovingly instructing us in the right ways to live. And in the Bible, we looked at the Psalms, and it says if you'll do that, you'll be wiser. No matter how simple-minded you are, you'll be wiser than the wisest man on earth just by obeying God's law. And he says if you do that, don't turn from the right hand or the left. He said we'll have good success and prosper in all that we do. And here's what we really need to think about. <laughs> and that is the amazing thing is that as long as Joshua was alive, Israel obeyed those truths that I just said. They walked in those three truths because a lot of people think, well, who lives like that? I don't know anybody who lives like that. We hear it and we know we should, but who lives like it? Well, Israel did. They trusted his promises in the face of impossible odds. Facing walls and people that were 10 times bigger than them. Impossible. And God delivered them. They trusted in his presence to deliver them, and they lived in obedience to his law. And we have to remember these were real people living in a real time, and they experienced the faithfulness of God in a real way. In other words, it all happened. What God said worked for him. Now, eventually, if you read through Joshua and then you go into the book of Judges, you start finding out when Joshua and that group, that generation's off the scene, the next generation didn't know the Lord. They didn't obey the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord. And guess what? Things don't work well. They get progressively worse and spiral on down till you get to the end of Judges, which is where we're headed now. And every man's doing what? 
that which is right in his own eyes instead of not turning to the right hand or the left hand. They're going whichever way they want. And so things don't work for him, but it wasn't God's fault. And at the end of Joshua, this is what he said. This was what Joshua was able to say. He says, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now look anybody in the eye and say, God is always faithful to his word. It's never his fault. That's the way it is. And if we're honest, that's the way it is. And so we come today to the second chapter of Joshua, the story of Rahab and the two spies. And what's interesting about this chapter is you could, and you don't do it now, but you could take this chapter completely out of the Bible, chapter two, and it would read perfectly fine. So the end of chapter one, they're up to the edge of the river. Chapter three, they go and cross the river. You could take it out and you wouldn't miss a thing. The only other thing you'd have to do is over in chapter 6, there's four verses there that talk about Rahab being spared. You could take those verses out and the story would make perfect sense. And so, in other words, except that we know she's in the Bible, like you heard about it as a little child, right, reading it? So we know we'd be missing, but if we never knew it, if it was never in there, we'd never miss it. But I'll tell you what we would miss, we'd miss understanding the grace of God. Because that is why that's in there. Because he's showing his grace. It's utter destruction on Canaan. He said, don't make any covenant with those people. Their sin has come up to the full. And they are going to be utterly man, woman, child. All of them, they're going to be totally wiped out. And yet, here's this woman right here in chapter 2. Right as they're getting ready to go in there. And we don't think of the Old Testament as being grace, do we? But man, you have it big time right here with Rahab. So right here. The story of God's grace shines and is poured out on the least likely person, a pagan woman who is engaged in one of the lowest professions. She's a harlot. And you've got to be honest, if you're looking down on Jericho and you're going to choose who you're going to spare out of that city, she's not the one you're going to pick, is she? That's not the one people are naturally going to pick, but that's the one that God picked. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament. Rahab the harlot, that's always how she's named, but she's in Matthew, Hebrews, and the book of James, and we'll look at all three of those here in a little bit, and she's the last account given, you know, she's the last account given in Hebrews 11, doesn't even talk about David, but no, it ends talking about Rahab and what she did, and we'll look at that, Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith, she's a remarkable woman, and we'll see that. So today, in this chapter 2, I want to look at three evidences of God's sovereign mercy here in Joshua 2. And the first is, we're going to look at, is the spies' encouragement. The second one we want to look at is Rahab's faith. And the third thing I want to look at is the beauty of God's grace. That'll be our three headings. And so the first thing I want us to see here is that God's sovereign mercy is seen in the spies' encouragement. So we read in verse 1 that Joshua sent out these two spies secretly to view the land. And he says, especially check out Jericho. The problem was there wasn't anything secretive about their venture. It's like everybody knew it. So they obviously were not very experienced spies. You know, maybe in 10 years they might have been good. But at this point, they didn't do a very good job. Everybody knew they were in town, including the king. Now, the whole thing is, our idea of a king is like the king of France, the king of England, somebody over this vast domain. Well, the way it was set up in Canaan, they were little city-states, so this king is more like a mayor. That's really what he was, so he's kind of the town mayor. But he finds out, the spies enter Jericho, 
come to Rahab's house. Now, why would you think they'd go to Rahab's house? Not because she was a harlot. There's no indication there that any of that was going on at all. I think the simple answer is that's going to be the best place to go unnoticed because you got a lot of men coming and going, probably a lot of outsiders. But what I see in this is God sovereignly directed these men. We're talking about his sovereign mercy in this chapter. He sovereignly directed these men to Rahab's house. And why did he do that? I think there's three reasons why he did that. One is he's going to save this woman. He's already worked. His grace has already come ahead of the spies. But he's going to spare her life and her family's life. That's one thing. The other thing is God knew that she would hide those spies and send them back. And nobody else would have done that in that town. And the last thing, though, and the more important thing is, I think he sent her there because he wanted to give those spies confirmation and encouragement to bring back to Joshua and Israel that the land was theirs. And I want to talk about that last point. So these two spies that Joshua sends, they are totally unlike the spies that Moses has sent to spy out the land 38 years earlier. So if you remember in Numbers 13, 10 of the 12 spies, what did they do? We all know this, heard this many times. They brought back an evil report. Never could have got everybody to say evil report, right? And that's what it says, Numbers 13. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. So 10 out of 12 only had two of them brought back a good report. Joshua was probably thinking, I'm not sending 12 again. Uh-uh. I'm going to pick two. Two men that are full of faith and courage. And I'm going to tell you, we can know from verse 14, Rahab, she requested that they have mercy on her and her family and spare their lives. Here's what it says. Look in verse 14 of chapter 2. We can know these men had faith. The man answered her after she asked that. She said, our life for yours. If you utter not this, our business, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. So what do you have there? When they're saying, not if. You don't hear them crying about what they've seen, do you? They're saying when. It's going to happen. These guys aren't doubting. They have got faith. So they're not standing in doubt about God and his promises because faith will say when. And doubt and hope says if. If it happens, I hope it happens someday. But more importantly, these men were given encouragement to their faith in an unusual way. So they come to an unlikely place, a harlot's house. And from this unlikely place comes a word of encouragement from the harlot herself. I would say it's an unlikely source that that came from. So God uses the worst of women to encourage his people. A sinner. Look in verses 8 and 9. And before they were laid down, Rahab came up unto them and upon the roof. And here's what she said unto them. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Well, you know, that verse 9 that she says there, that was predicted by Moses. This is how he encouraged Israel before they ever went in there back in Deuteronomy 11. This is what Moses told them. He said, every place where on the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. There shall no man be able to stand before you. 
And here's what Moses told them, or the Lord spoke through Moses. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon as he has said unto you. So what Rahab is saying there in verse 9, she says, I know the Lord's given you this land. And she says, for your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. I mean, that was music to their ears. They're like, wow, that's what we wanted to hear. And thank you, Miss Harlot. Great encouragement. And here's how we know that. Because look, they come back to Joshua. And here's the word they give him. This is important. Look in verse 24 at the end of this chapter. So we're dealing with the first and the 24th verses with this spy's encouragement. When they finally get back to Joshua, look what they say unto him. Truly, without a doubt, the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land. Why? Even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So they got that report from who? The harlot. He sent them there. He's going to save her. But he's going to give them encouragement through her. That's what's going on there. So you think, man, why did they need that word of encouragement? Isn't God's promises enough? Well, you could say, yeah, God's promises, I guess, should be enough. But sometimes don't we need a word of encouragement beyond that? I like what one man said. It's not that God's promises are not sure, but that we need to feel sure of them. Sometimes it helps, doesn't it? When you're in a hard trial, a word comes to you. So I'm saying that's a principle in the, New, in the Bible, the Old Testament all the way through, and it should be a principle in our lives. That sometimes because of the weakness of our faith or we're struggling, we're in a hard trial, God will send us assurance. He did that for Gideon, if you remember, back when we talked about Gideon. He'd already given Gideon several signs, supernatural signs, that he was with him to encourage him. But on the night of the battle with the Midianites, God told Gideon this. He says, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. That should have been enough, shouldn't it? But God said, Hey, I know you might be struggling, especially when you see this multitude laid out in front of you. And he says, but if you fear to go down, he tells Gideon, go thou with Pura, thy servant, down to the host, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards shall thy hands be strengthened to go down unto this host. And it says in the Bible that Gideon and his servant went down to the host, and it said you couldn't number them. It said you couldn't number their camels. It said their camels were innumerable. So Gideon, he's down there and they're hanging out and they overhear two of these guys talking about a dream they had. This cape comes tumbling down and one of them says, well, here's the interpretation. This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. And that was all Gideon needed. You don't ever hear of him doubting again. He gets the people and he does exactly what God says. And that gave him the confidence. Now, he already had the promise. God had already told him, I've given Midian into your hand. But he still gave him that encouragement. And that happens to us. At least I can speak for myself if you all look hard at me. But it happens to me in many times, in many ways. So how does God do that? He'll do it through his word. He'll do it through circumstances. He'll do it from a word from a brother or sister. And even I've had this happen several times through unsaved people. I have, just like this harlot. No, she's not. I wouldn't say she's unsaved, but I've said that happen. And we just the other night, a brother was saying he was reading the Word. God will do this many times through the Word. This is where it's critical that we read our Bibles regularly and read thinking, 
not just getting through your two chapters a day. But a brother the other day said, it, you know, he's reading the word and it leaped off the page to encourage him in a way he said it hadn't happened in a while. Just really strengthened him. If we had that happen here, many times that's the way God will speak through his word like that. And sometimes you're not getting the full manifestation. We had somebody else talking about, well, I didn't get full manifestation, but God had enough things happen. And this is another thing that should happen to us to encourage us that this little bit's going on and the rest is coming. So sometimes he'll do that through circumstances. And a lot of times, like I said, I've had it happen several times where an unsaved person. And one time I was in a major, I don't want to get all the details. Of this. I was in a major trial with one of my children, one of my girls. And I had prayed through and had a peace in my heart that everything was going to be fine. I had some things happen that got me unsettled. The next morning, anyways, I went to this Walmart to get something for him to drink and something else. And I mentioned something about the situation to a lady working. I don't remember what. I wasn't talking about my trial to somebody I didn't know. But this lady looked at me, and uh, she was behind the counter, and she says, she'll be fine. She says, your daughter will be fine. Everything's going to be just fine. She said, it's just that nice and that sweet. And that's what I needed. And there's just something in my heart. I just knew that was the Lord speaking through her at that time. And my peace was back. And that trial was over. And it did work out fine. I'm saying sometimes God will do that. So, yeah, all we need is the promise. But there are times when God will give us an encouragement from a least likely source, won't he? He'll do that many times. And so we should be sensitive if we're praying for people and we know they're in situations. We should be sensitive that if God puts it on your heart to text them, call them, whatever it is you do, visit them. You know, because that just may be the Lord prompting you to help encourage them in a trial. So God gave that word to the two spies from a harlot that reported back to Joshua and all of Israel that truly the Lord has delivered them into our hands. That's how they knew it, because of that report she'd given them. And the second thing I want to look at here in this chapter is God's sovereign mercy seen in Rahab's faith. So those two spies, they come to Rahab, they were seen going in the house, and the king sends men to arrest him. He sends the Jericho police. They knock on the door. And so they say, hey, you need to bring out those guys, Miss Rahab. We saw them go into your house. The man, does she bring them out? She says, well, yeah, they came in here, but I didn't know who they were, where they came from. And they left right before the gate was shut. And I have no idea where they went. But you hurry up and you go after them. Get out of here before that gate shut. And I'm sure you'll be able to catch up with them. So off they ran looking for them. Then the gates are shut. And then comes the climax of this chapter. Because it leaves you hanging there. You're thinking, well, how are these guys going to get out of here? The gates are shut. They're stuck in there. And they're looking for them. How are they going to get out? And all of a sudden, the story's interrupted for several verses because we get Rahab's confession of faith. And that's what we have here in verse 9 and 10. Look what it says. And she said unto the men, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And so she's saying there in verse 9 that she says, I know something. She said to the man, I know the Lord has given you the land. And how does she know that? It tells us right there in verse 10. For we have heard. That's how she knows it, because she's heard something, and that is always the basis of our faith. 
We can't get away from that. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. And I would say in this case, and in a lot of cases, it comes by hearing what God has done. Because what does she go on to say? She didn't have the scriptures. That's not what she heard. But she heard the report. She says, I heard. I know God's given you this land because I heard what he did to the Red Sea. Dried that up supernaturally. That had come back to her. And I know what he did to these two huge armies. Wiped them out with God's help. And I'm saying when people hear about the great things that God has done or is doing, it increases their faith, doesn't it? It can give you faith. Matthew 4 says this. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And after that, it says, And his fame Word got out about what was going on, his preaching, the healing, the miracles. And it says, and his fame went throughout all Syria. And then as a result, they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy. And it says, and he healed them. So as this fame, just like the fame of the Lord went ahead of Israel, the word went ahead. Just as the fame of Jesus went ahead of him, it's noised abroad. People's faith is quickened. And so when that happens, they're bringing people expecting them to be healed, weren't they? They're not wondering if it's going to happen. They've heard too many times that it's happened. And this what they've heard is this fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word that he preaches as it's confirmed, signs are following. They're expecting all that to happen. And that's what happens. People began to know. They had a knowing. They know, just like Rahab did. She says, I know that God has given you this land because of what I've heard. And so when word went out to the people in Jesus' day, they knew what was going to happen. They knew they could expect healing and deliverance because of what they heard, like Rahab. And that should be the case with us, shouldn't it? We have testimonies that we share here all the time. You're like, well, they're nothing big. Well, we actually did have a pretty big testimony not that many months ago with Miss Privet. Now there's somebody that held on, trusted the Lord, and God delivered her supernaturally. And for me, that was a great encouragement. And it should be for anybody in a trial that's trusting the Lord. That's the way it should work. And so whether you hear about a case like that and you're in a major trial, or I've looked at people's lives. I I mean, I've seen different people along the way and you knew what they were like and you see, and I'm not talking about healing now, I'm talking about change in their character, in their countenance. You see, man, there's a joy, there's a hat, there's something about them. And I'm saying that encourages you that God will do that for me. And that's what we have here going on with Rahab. Because I heard something, this is what I know is going to happen. I can read in the Bible that God delivered the gathering demoniac, set him free. And intellectually, I can say that's true. But how much more does that help when you can say, I've experienced that. I was as bound or worse. I'm telling you, this is me. I was bound or worse, tried to commit suicide because of demons in me. And I'm saying, God delivered me. I'm saying, so then someone hears that, hey, he'll do it for me too, because he's no respecter of persons. And that's right on down the line. And I'm saying, when things start happening here, it'll roll. It will. It was rolling there in Jericho, except what was rolling there was fear. Because they're saying, we see what that incredible, awesome God did in judgment on those, and he's headed right our way. That swarm of locusts.
called Israel, millions of them, they're headed right across our way. That's why we, we want those spies. We want to find out what's going on. They're not going to have any mercy on those spies. Only Rahab did. But God will do that for us, won't he? And look in verse 11. It says, and as soon as we had heard these things, Rahab goes on to say, our hearts did melt. Oh, faith. That's faith. Our hearts did melt. <laughs> in a sense. And neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. And look what she says here. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. And so here she's stating a conviction of her faith that came as a result of what she heard. And I'm saying that statement that she makes there at the end of verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath, is no small statement. It's huge. Because you have to think about what she's saying and where she is saying it. Because Rahab is a pagan Canaanite prostitute. And all she knows about the God of Israel is what she has heard, probably from men that have frequented her place and the gossip that's going around town. That's all she knows. And she's living in an Amorite culture, and they are totally given over to idolatry and sexual sin. They're located right next to Sodom, just as bad as Sodom. That's why God's judging this whole land. He's not sending Israel in there to bless anybody. He says their sin has come to the full and they are worthy of judgment. That's what he's doing, sending his nation in there to judgment as well as to give them the land. And Jericho is this huge fortified city she's in. Fortified, huge walls, been standing for hundreds of years. Impregnable. They thought this place is impregnable. Nobody's going to take over Jericho. So they thought. And the king is looking for those spies Rahab, she's got to know if he finds out what she did. You think about that. What's he going to do to her? He's not going to give her the key to the city. She's going to get tortured. That's the way they dealt with people back then. I mean, this isn't a nice culture that she's living in. And so what we need to consider here and consider in her faith is in the midst of this hostile environment, think about what she's doing. She's taking a stand on the side of the God of Israel. Isn't she? And she is the only one in Jericho that's doing that. And so she's declaring by this, she's declaring her allegiance to the living God, the living God of Israel, who is at war with her king, her people, their gods, and her culture. Now you think about that took great faith. She didn't have all the divine revelation on the mountain like Moses. It's like when the Lord looked at that woman, great is thy faith, or that Roman centurion, didn't have that same background as the Jews. Great, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. Or Naaman the leper. But that's what we have here. It's faith. That's why she's talked about. And listen, I'm saying, that's the kind of faith that God is calling us to. Because whether you realize it or not, we live in a culture that is at war with the God of the Bible. We do. And if you don't believe that, then you're probably living on the wrong side of that culture. I just saw a new survey, 70%, nearly 70% of Americans no longer believe the Bible is literally true. 70%. That is a huge percentage. No longer believe the Bible is literally true. And we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to stand for the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount in this culture, to trust God for our finances and healing and be a people that are willing to pray and seek God's face. Because I'm saying 
This culture that we live in right now is totally opposed to everything I just said. Believe me. What on TV, what on the internet have you seen lately that promotes prayer and fasting? On the social media. I don't think there's much out there. Totally opposed. And like Jericho, our culture is at war with our Lord Jesus Christ. You got to think about this. Guess who didn't get to go with the spies as they went back to the nation of Israel? Rahab. They left her behind. Honey, you got to stay here. And they left her there, trusting God. She knew judgment was coming. She knew her city, the nation she lived in, is going to be destroyed. But here is where her faith is so great and why it's commended, because she knew the God of Israel was the true God, and she was willing to take refuge under his wings, wasn't she? And she's willing to forsake the culture, all she knew all of her life, for the God of the Bible. I'm saying God's calling us to that. Are we willing to do that? Or do we love our culture and our country more than God? So when God delivered Lot out of Sodom, those guys were going to kill him there. They said, who are you? You know, they wanted to have relations with those angels. And he's like, not so, brethren, don't do that. They're like, all of a sudden, the people of this town were, who made you a judge over us? You're going to come in here and judge us in our lives. He wasn't doing that. He's saying, look, this just isn't right. He's not regretting leaving there. He's probably thankful at that point when the angel came and delivered him out of there. But his wife, his wife wasn't that excited about leaving there, was she? She had a heart still for what Sodom offered. And what does Jesus warn us about? What does he tell us? Three words. Remember Lot's wife. And he goes on to say, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. If you hate your life, you'll gain it, is what he says. Because she still longed for the fashion, the pleasure, and the culture of Sodom. She's longing, she's looking back. That's where her heart was. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Because I'm saying Rahab is put up as an example of somebody... Her heart was delivered to that culture she was in in, even while she was there. And she had to stay there. They left her there. And here's the evidence of her faith. She's willing to risk her life and trust in God's mercy. Verses 12 and 13, it says, Now therefore I pray you, Rahab says, that swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness. That's the word hesed. Old Testament word translated mercy, loving kindness. It's that covenant affection. She says, since I've showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness. Give it back to me under my father's house and give me a true token. And that you shall save alive my father, my mother, my brother, and my sisters, and all they have, and deliver our lives unto death. So that's true faith right there. Because she didn't just acknowledge the truth of what she'd heard. She didn't acknowledge that, man, your God is a mighty God. I believe it. I believe he parted that Red Sea and destroyed those armies. She didn't just do that. She didn't just didn't acknowledge that, I know he's the only God. And all the gods of Jericho are nothing because you could do all of that. People do it all the time. I heard it yesterday. Well, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I said, so did I. For 21 years of my life, I truly knew it was all true. I knew Jesus died for the sins of the world. I knew that if I repented, he would forgive me. I knew all of that stuff. I believed it 100% and I was going to hell. And she would have too. 
But here's the difference. She didn't just acknowledge that. She was willing to risk her life for the God of Israel because she hid the spies and sent them out. And then she says, listen, I'm seeking refuge. Isn't that what salvation is? You're saying, look, I know destruction's coming. I knew all that, but I had never sought refuge and given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's until you do that, that's saving faith. That's faith for anything for that matter. That's the way it works. She has to spy. She said, just show me love. Show me that kindness that I've shown them because they represented the God of Israel. She knew if they got there, well, that's the same as God giving his word to her in essence. So they were his tangible representatives to her. So Rahab is commended twice in the New Testament for her faith. And if you would, please turn over to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at both of them. They're pretty close together. You look over at Hebrews 11, verse 31. It's easy to just read over this verse. Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Think about what that's saying. That's what I've been saying. Everybody around her perished, didn't they? Everybody did. <laughs> you know, when those walls went flat, you got to think about this. I heard a guy say this. It's true. When you think about those walls went flat, there had to be one section that was left standing, though, wasn't it? Where that scarlet cord was. Everybody else, it was flat. And everybody else was killed but her and everybody that was in her house. He said, that's one of the things. you got to be in that house is what they told her. But you think about that. All the people she grew up with, her neighbors, her town folks, she didn't perish, but they did. And she didn't perish because of her faith. And she had a faith that did something. It received those spies with peace. And so think about it. She's taken a risk. She's taken a risk in doing that, right? That was her faith in action. And if you look over in James chapter 2, look what it says there. James chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. James 2, just the next book over to the right. James 2, it says, You see then how that by works a man is justified, James writes, and not by faith only. And likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? And what did she do when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So James has been telling us that, look, true faith is just not this intellectual faith, is it? In the head. It has to have teeth to it. It has to be something that's demonstrated, he says, or it's dead faith. That's what he says up in verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. And so we had first, the first example that James gives is Abraham. He says, Abraham demonstrated his faith at a great cost. He's going to offer up his only son. There's that risk that's there. And then he's going to trust in the mercy of God. Don't we know that? It said he was trusting that he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew that promise was true. So he's risking himself and trusting in God's mercy. And that's the same thing that Rahab her faith came at a great cost, too. So when she received those spies and sent them out, she demonstrated something. She demonstrated, I'm on God's side. I'm not on my country's side. I'm on God's side, and I'm against the cause of Jericho, against the king. And everything I knew since I was a child, she's, I'm giving evidence 
that I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness of Jericho into the kingdom of God's dear son. And that's how it was evidenced. She did something. She took a risk, so to speak, because true faith is never safe as far as the world's concerned. It always, from a worldly standpoint, a natural standpoint, an intellectual standpoint, faith always appears risky and foolish, doesn't it? You think about this, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to risk their lives, didn't they? The same thing she's doing here, to have their faith in God. They trusted in his mercy, risked their lives, and trusted in his mercy. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, he asked them, he says, is it true? He almost can't believe this, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And I'm telling you, those guys, those young men, they didn't have to go fast and pray to see how they should answer that in wisdom. They were ready. And they told him, they said, look, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful. Don't have to think about this to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So just like Rahab, and she said, I am not bowing the knee. I'm done bowing the knee. I am on the side of the God of Israel. Remember me when you come, that the God will have mercy on me. And guess what it costs you when you do that? Guess what that kind of faith costs? I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to be on Nebuchadnezzar's next newsletter. Unless he had a pile of ashes on there. That's the way he was looking at it. So it's going to cost you in popularity, isn't it? To walk in the faith of the Bible. That's what we're seeing here, I think, with Rahab. But we can, just like they did, she did, they did, trusted in God's mercy and power. And did he let them down? So sometimes people get martyred. But even in that, I believe God will have his grace there. So we have Rahab, Abraham, and the three Hebrew boys. And I would say they are all tremendous examples for us to follow. Because here's the thing. You and I have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Yet, like all of them, we're still living in and surrounded by a culture that is controlled by God's great enemy, Satan. Do we believe that? Like Rahab, we have got to live in this culture until judgment falls. And that will require great faith and courage and the knowledge that God's presence is with us. And that's what gets back to chapter one, didn't it? That's how Israel made it. And that's how anybody's made it. Living an obedient life, trusting that God's power and presence is with you and that he will not fail you. So Rahab the prostitute overcame the world around her. How did she do that? We know it was by her faith. And every person that is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ can do exactly the same thing. 1 John 5, 4 says this, For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, that's a mouthful right there that we're not going to unpack right now. But that's how you overcome the world, just like Rahab, is through our faith. So back to Joshua, we'll look at the last thing. And that is, God's sovereign mercy is seen in the beauty of God's grace. Was Rahab rewarded 
for her faith in the God of Israel? Was she rewarded for that? Well, listen, here's what it says in Joshua. You don't have to turn over to Joshua 6, chapter 6, verse 25. It says this of Rahab. Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So because of her faith, she lived the rest of her life. So this story must have been written shortly after all this happened because she's still alive at the time it's written. But she lived the rest of her life in the safety of God's people. She became a member of the Commonwealth of Israel. And not only that, if you know your Bible, she married an Israelite. And she became one of the five women that are in the ancestral line of our Lord Jesus Christ. Five of them. There's five women. If you read the ancestral line, which we'll look at Matthew 1 and in Luke, all five of them, though it's interesting, were in a sense, quote unquote, bad women. Really? They were. So you have Tamar and Rahab. They were harlots. Both of them were. Ruth was an idolater. Bathsheba, we know, was an adulteress. Now, Mary didn't actually commit fornication. She was charged with fornication. So they all, you could say, appear like they're immoral, bad women. And what does that tell us? What do we see by that, that God includes these women, not these princesses? They're not the, you know, the nicest women in society that are included in here for the most part. And he didn't come. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come from a sinless bloodline, human bloodline, did he? But all of them came under that cleansing blood that changed them. I don't know if you caught this or not. There's a guy's got a sermon out. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's actually very good. You'd probably like it better than mine. He had his sermon out on Joshua 2 called Rahab R for Redemption. Uh, you ever find that online? It's worth But he points out there that she can't get away from the fact that all through the Bible, all the way through the New Testament, she is Rahab the harlot. <laughs> I mean, that's the way you know her. It's Rahab the harlot. She can't shake the name. And yet, here's what we need to know, though, from the Bible. She married a prince of Israel. So the father of her husband, Salmon, Salmon was the man she married, but his father was a great prince in Israel, in Judah. That's how she's in that bloodline. So Rahab the harlot, as she's known, the prostitute, she didn't just marry any Israelite. She became a princess in Israel. Rahab the harlot. And I'm saying... That's the way God's grace works. Prostitutes become princesses. Because that's what happened here. That's literally what happened. And so that harlot is cleansed by the blood of Jesus, isn't she? By trusting in the mercy of God. And that's what that scarlet cord hanging out her window represented, didn't it? She's saying, me and my house, we are under the blood. It was probably more pointing back to Exodus where they had that blood marking out their dwellings. They're saying, let that scarlet cord hang down there and the mercy of God will be over you. And that's us, isn't it? Now we're under the blood, just like the people of Israel during the Passover. And we've been changed, haven't we? I've been, I have. I've been changed just like that. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9, we know this verse. And Paul writes to the Corinthians there, and it was a bad area too back in the day. He says, know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And aren't we glad that Paul didn't put a period there? Because that had been my death sentence right there. And all of the rest of us too, we'd all be dead men and women. But he went on to write, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. The triune God's involved in our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. And say, that's the thing. Are you a trophy of God's grace? It doesn't matter that you were a harlot. You don't have to be a harlot to still be a trophy of His grace. Because you can be a hateful person, an envious person, a backbiting person. You can be probably more wicked than she was as a harlot. And God can deliver you. That's what salvation is. And that's what he says in Titus. That's the way we were. We were hateful, envious. We despised each other. Malicious. I don't care who you are, you're going to fall in that category. Trophies of God's grace. And if you're not in here today, and I know some of you aren't, but you can be. You're going to fall in that first category, and the Lord says, don't be deceived. Just because your family comes here, just because you show up every week, doesn't guarantee you a single thing. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The child's not responsible for the sin of the parent, and the parent's not responsible for the sin of the child. And so if you're not a trophy of God's grace, if you're an unclean person, an unclean person in mind, thought, and deed, Guess what? There's good news. Because Rahab was. Couldn't be any more unclean. And God cleaned her up. And he'll do that for you. He did that for me. He did that for a lot of people I'm looking at here that are smiling right now. That's what his blood will do. Give you a new start because God is in the business of changing prostitutes into princesses. Alcoholics into angels. Greedy people into givers. Haters into huggers. Just don't hug my wife if you're a guy. But that's what God will do. Amen. So here's this hymn, and we'll end on this. Grace greater than our sin, all our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And we know the chorus, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And another verse says, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And all the saints said, amen, and so be it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this example you've given us here of Rahab and the faith that she had, Lord, that you've given to us and the abilities she was able to stand against her culture and stand on your side, Lord, and I ask that your grace and mercy will be on all of us in here, Lord, that we'll be able to make that stand in these last days. 
and it will stick to you. We'll risk everything for you, Lord, and trust in your power and your mercy in our lives and that you will never fail us or forsake us and that your presence will go with us. As we talked about many times today, your presence will go with us in all that we have to face in these coming days that you've promised us that, Lord. You will never leave us, never, ever leave us, or never, ever forsake us. And we thank you for that promise that you've given us and the grace that you've given our lives here in this church. And we do all that in Jesus' name. Amen.